Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. April 1973. Autumn. It was getting cool. We were standing outside one of the hostels at the seminary where my cousin was studying towards becoming a pastor. I was a little beginning then, but my cousin was older. He was about six foot five, 230 pounds. We were standing outside the hostel and we were praising the Lord, worshiping. For me, I was semi-detached because my father passed away five weeks prior to that. We were singing with an accordion, and my cousin has this beautiful baritone voice. We were singing, he made the stars to shine. And I looked up, yeah, look at the stars. He made the rolling sea. And then I started to feel sad. Because we were supposed to go on holiday. And my father was blind, so we didn't earn much money. So going on holiday was something big, and now he passed away, and now we couldn't go on holiday anymore. I said, Lord, okay, you made the rolling sea, so what? And we were singing. He made the mountains high, and I was looking that way, far away, and yes, there were mountains. I could see the moon just starting to rise. And he made me. And he said, okay, so he made me, so what? And then the chorus came, and that, this is why I love him. And then I re- realized, I do not love you, Lord. I know about you. My dad took me to church regularly. My mom also. I had godly parents who really loved the Lord. But does he love me? How could he take away my dad while I was just a young little boy? My sister, barely five and a half years old. I don't know much about what happened the rest of the evening. I just know I had a sleepless night. And the next morning, I went to church where there was this mean professor. Let me read to you what he shared with us. It comes from Mark 5. Mark 5, verse 1 to 9. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with the stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have I to do with you? Jesus, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of man? Son of the Most High God, 
I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. My name is Legion, for we are many. What can we learn from this portion of scripture? Well, firstly, his name was Legion because there were many demons inside of him. This demons resulted in Legion having to live among the graves, among the dead. He was isolated. He was arming himself. We read that he cut himself with stones and he was crying out day and night. I think maybe he was crying out, please, somebody help me. He was just shouting, no, not anymore. I cannot take this any longer. I don't know what he was crying, but he was crying out. Do you know what? Jesus heard him. Jesus heard him. Because if you read in the portion of scripture before this portion we read, you'll see that Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And Jesus was sleeping in the boat because he was so sure that they will get there that he was relaxed. And the devil tried to stop them by sending the storm and Jesus woke and said, be still. He rebuked the storm because that storm wasn't coming from him, it was coming from the devil who tried to stop Jesus from getting to legion. Then Jesus came. And the demon was afraid of the Son of God. He still is. But he ran to him. He ran to him. And he begged him not to torment him. Jesus responded by asking him, What is your name? And his name was Legion. You know, I was sitting there that morning. When we went to church, I told you there was this mean professor. And he was singling me out. I already mentioned that we were very, very poor because my father was blind. By the way, let me quickly share with you how he, he lost his sight. He was a brilliant athlete. And in his matric year, he wanted to become a pastor. Uh, and in his matric year, as he was preparing for the Mapumalanga, um, that's time at that stage, it was Eastern Transvaal Athletic Championships. He was a sprinter. He ran the 100 meters. He told me around about 10.2, 10.3 seconds was his time. And his main opposition, his, his big opponent, was so jealous. And as he was cycling towards training one afternoon, his opponent threw a reed, a bamboo, into the spokes of his cycle, his bicycle. That bamboo broke and poked out his eyes, both his eyes. So my dad was blind. He married my mom. My mom was, she wasn't very healthy all her life. She was sickly so she couldn't work. And we survived on, on 90 rand a month at that stage. I tried to convert it. Nowadays it will be around about 1,900 rand a month. My mom, me and my sister. 
And there I was sitting in that sermon because for the funeral, some of the folks decided they need to buy me some new clothes for the burial service, for the funeral. And they bought me a pink shirt. And you can imagine I was on the verge of puberty and there I was sitting with this pink shirt in the funeral service. And uh, that professor thing, he was singling me out and he was saying, hey you, what is your name? You there with the pink. I said, huh? I wanted to get up and say, listen, my name is Christo, and, but I just couldn't. I was feeling so singled out. I wanted to shout out. This is my name. This is who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm the poor boy whose dad passed away. But I didn't. Now, before I share how it then played out, let me ask you, what is your name? What is your name? What circumstances defines you or gave you your name? Is it being barren? Not having a child? You know, so often women are ridiculed when they cannot have a kid of their own. Is it a crime somebody committed against you? Were you raped? You sexually abused. You neglected. Was it a rejection? A relationship that failed. That guy just wanted you for the one night or one month or whatever, and then he rejected you and left you alone. Was it that girl who said, hmm, okay, you're not muscular enough. You're not wealthy enough. Then she just left you. Is it being without a job? Is it struggling at university? Is it being poor? Is it being rich? Is it being defined by the position your husband has or your wife has? You want to be known as a say in Afrikaans, mevrouw doctor, mevrouw professor. Or are you, I'm the husband of this successful accountant. What defines you? Is it being without a mother? Is it being without a father? You know, they say fatherlessness is one of the curses of this age we live in. Let me share some statistics about fatherlessness. In the USA, 70% of the black babies and 19% of white babies are born out of wedlock. And only 34% of children born in the USA will live with both parents through to the age of 18. Okay, that's the USA. Let's look at South Africa. South Africa, only 34% of kids live with both parents. 41% live with a mother only. 21% with no parent at all. Child-led families. We see them on the streets. We hear them crying out like legion. 3% live with a father only. Why do I highlight this? Because the role of the father and the role of the mother is so crucial in the upbringing of children. 
is so crucial in forming our identity. The first responsibility of a father is to turn his heart to his children. He has to be emotionally committed. He has to love them. You have to affirm them, care for them. As to show affection, as to give them attention. As to be the one when that little kid in grade one or grade two is being bullied. I'll tell my daddy, he'll sort you out. My daddy is stronger. He'll beat up your daddy. He has to be there. He has to be there. You know, where the father fails this calling, he leaves the kids open to insecurity. They doubt their identity, they doubt their destiny. It can affect gender identity. And it can breed abnormal sensitivity through fears and phobies and anxiety and gender confusion. The second responsibility of the dad is that of a mentor has to model what Christ expects of man, not men, of mankind. Has to model that through instruction, and he has to shape the disposition of his mentee. Has to discipline, has to guide. He has to be the strong man of the house. Have to protect and guard his place. You know, there once was a breaking um, at a house, and the next day the little girl went to school, and the, she told the teacher, "Teacher, teacher, there were breaking in our house." And the, the teacher said, "What were you doing?" Daddy doing under the circumstances. And she replied, no, he wasn't under the circumstances. He was under the bed. (laughs) So he wasn't a strong man. He wasn't there to protect them. (laughs) The fourth one is the priest of the house. He has to teach. has to instruct. has to provide moral leadership. He invokes blessing and imparts spiritual life and substance. He has charge of the sacred space, the formative events, and the covenant bonds. Has to be the priest. Has to be the king. You know, in the Old Testament, the picture we have of a king is that one who leads the soldiers in battle, going out to conquer the land, defining what is the, yeah, I almost want to say, the spiritual climate in that land. You know, we read about the kings, and he served the Lord, and it went okay with Israel. He didn't serve the Lord, and they suffered. The king of the house is determining what is happening in that house spiritually, and he has to lead the fight. He shares the core values and gives the family identity. Also, he's the judge. The judge who ensures fair play. I'm going to tell daddy. Just wait till daddy gets home. He will sort you out. I'm going to tell daddy. You took my 
Sweeties. Uh. You ensure fair play. He protects his wife. You know, even nowadays when you ask my sons, what is the biggest rule in our house? And what was the biggest rule in our house? It was that they will define and acknowledge my wife as being the princess of the home. She's not there to pick up dirty clothes. She's not there to tidy up behind you. She's not your flurlop. She's my wife, and most of all, she's a princess. She's a child of the Most High King. They will know that. They will respect her. And if you do not do that, Philip, Philip is that tall. If you do not do that, Chris, Chris is this muscular, you'll have trouble with me. I remember one evening, Philip wasn't treating my wife as I expect him to. I said, okay, now I'm going to footer you. And he stood before me, but I clenched my fists. I was ready for him. I'm so glad he didn't try to hit me back. (laughs) (laughs) The father of the house is a prophet who takes leadership in God's directives and instructions. He watches against defilement of sin and warns of pending danger. The mother of the house, let's look a little bit at her roles. It corresponds with that of the father. But first of all, she's the helper. You know, God created everything. By the way, I love it when people say, do you really believe he did it in seven days? And I say, no, hmm, no, I don't believe it. He did it in six, baby. He did it in six. So everything was good. First day it was good. Second day it was good. Third day it was good. Fourth day it was good. The first time that something was not good, it was when man, Adam, was alone. And he needed a helper. So don't ever look down on your wife and her role and her responsibility. Because it corresponds with you, husband, man. It's complementary. It's a complementary partnership. She has to respect her husband, support her husband emotionally and spiritually, support in faith, in prayer, and in agreement. And she is as much a figure of authority in the home as her father is. The children has to obey her just as much as they has to obey the daddy. It's no need to say, okay, you carry on, I'll wait till daddy gets home and he'll give you a spanking. No. You children have to respect your mother as much as you do respect your father. Mom and dad function in a team context. This can be broken because of the absent father or there can be divorce or there can be sibling rivalry all these contribute to our unhealthy situation and this unhealthy situation gives rise to sin upon sin gives rise to sin upon sin lies what are you called when you tell a lie you're a liar so what's your name? liar It can cause you to steal. 
If you steal, you're a theft. So what is your name? Thief. Can give rise to bullying. What is your name? Can give rise to drug abuse. Either selling or buying or using. So what's your name? What is your name? Can rise to adultery or fornication. What is your name? Maybe your name is not one of the things I mentioned, one of the sins I've mentioned. Maybe it's just a life that doesn't bear fruit. What is your name? You know, parents name a child, but only God can give you your real name. That name that is written in the book of life. Only God can give that to you. A name can change. In Isaiah 61, I want to share one or two verses with you. Verse 3, Isaiah 61. To appoint unto them that morn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. New name, trees of trees of righteousness. Over six, but you shall be called the priests of the high Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. New name. You no longer just that throw away, just that nothing. You shall be called a priest of God. Servant of God, a disciple of God. Or verse 9. The offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. So a name can change. How do you get a new name? How do you get this new name? Well, Jesus made the way. He was naked on the cross. Legion was naked among the graves. Jesus was naked between the tombs. He was being ridiculed. Well, Legion was avoided. Jesus was ridiculed and scorned. Jesus didn't live among the graves, but he died and went into the grave and rose again. He broke the chains of death and rose from the grave. He defeated Satan. And when he cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished. It was a victory cry. It was a victory cry. Because it is finished. So what is your name? If you want to change your name, accept him. For who he is and what he has done. Ask him to change your name. Ask him to come into your life and be your king.
Allow me to share with you how I got a new name that weekend. After the sermon, I still struggled the rest of the day. And that night again, I went to bed. And again, didn't sleep much. But somehow, somewhere in the night, I decided I wanted a name change. I wanted a new identity. So early the next morning, I ran to my mother's room where she was sleeping. And I said, Mom, Mom, I think I will a Christian word. And she smiled and she said, I've been praying for that a long time. I said, yeah, Ma, help me. Yes, Mommy, please help me. And she led me to the Lord that morning. I still felt that Professor was singling me out, so I went to my cousin and I said, listen, you have to have a talk with your professor. And he just laughed and he said, um, and what is your name now? <laughs> Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.